Hello and welcome to History in Reverse, a father-daughter science fiction podcast. Today we will be discussing The Hunger Games, the first book, by Suzanne Collins. My name is Caroline, and I'm here with my father, Richie. Hello. And we are continuing our project to read and discuss a science fiction book. We are currently working on dystopian novels, and this month we have... Month? This time? I don't know exactly if it's been a month. This time we have read the first book um, of the Hunger Games series called The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. For spoiler warnings, probably going to be talking about the two subsequent books as well and the movies here and there, but we'll be mostly focusing on the first one. Right. So before we jump in, I think you had some things to add about some previous books we read. Right, so we read um, Return from the Stars, which was about an, an astronaut who comes back uh, to Earth 200 years in the future. Now, since then, I had read a book by H.G. Wells called mm -hmm. The Sleeper Awakes. And in that book, there is a guy who falls asleep in mm -hmm. end of 19th century and wakes up 200 years in the future. Oh, that and sounds familiar. <laughs> So the interesting difference between the two, that in Return from the Stars, when the guy came back 200 years in the future, nobody cared. In mm -hmm. Sleep Awakes, when he woke up 200 years in the future, he turned out he was the owner of the entire world. Oh. And he was the ruler of the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> and there were some interesting political implications of him being awake all of a sudden. <laughs> anyway, that it, like it was kind of amusing. It's kind of similar. It's, it's interesting to see the books that are kind of time travel books, but... I guess maybe they're more like time skip books. Like there's more like a time right. skip into the future. What's interesting is like what kind of stuff he predicts mm -hmm. in the future. You know, H.G. Wells. So mm -hmm. he had flying machines, mm -hmm. but no telephones. Mm -hmm. They had some kind of cool transportation system where you can get a cigar from Florida to England in two hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and. Even with flying, it was kind of funny because he was a little bit off. Like he said, from London to Paris, it was like, you know, 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. And from London to New York, it was two hours. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> I wonder, did any book ever predict the internet? That's the big one that they, they never seem to have. Um, Even like Star Trek doesn't have like any kind there of... Were, there were some in, the, in this uh, cyberpunk kind of genre. Mm -hmm. There's a, a... John Burner has a book called uh, Shockwave Rider. Mm -hmm. And that kind of predicted the idea of the network, mm -hmm. kind of like the internet. It was written in the 60s, maybe? I, I, I don't remember. Mm. Interesting. All right. Well, so today we're talking about The Hunger Games. Before we jump into it, maybe just describe our both of our experiences with The Hunger Games, because we both... Did you read this before? No, this is the first time no, I read No, I never it. read the book. I saw okay. the movie first, and you mm -hmm. know, a while ago when it came out. Mm -hmm. and then yeah, I was the same way. So I saw the movie first, absolutely loved it. I, and I was like the right age group when it came out in like 2011. Yeah, that's why we have some bows and arrows around the house. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it when it came I think I was like, I was, it must have been 18 or 19 when it came out. And after seeing the movie, picked up the books, sped read through the books, and found myself not really that impressed with the books which was weird because I'm a big book snob and I'm usually a big like the books are better person and I don't think I'm that person with the Hunger Games series mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of Hunger Games fans would disagree with me very adamantly but 
then I so I read the trilogy, the three books, and then I went back and reread the, just the first one because that is my favorite one, and then I've just reread it, or I've just re-listened to the audiobook this time. And I've got to say, I, I highly recommend the audiobook. Right, the person who reads the audiobook is named Tatiana Maslani, and she does a fantastic job. You gotta listen to it. Highly recommend. It almost masks the really bad writing of the story. Um, but I remember reading it and really not being impressed with the prose. And I think it's something we're probably going to talk about after we get through like the basic gist of the well, story. Well, should we talk a little bit about Susan Collins? We just yeah. looked her up. We just looked her up on Wikipedia. <laughs> this is all of our knowledge came from there. So she's most known for the Hunger Games. Prior to the Hunger Games, she was known for the Outlander. Was it? Underworld. Underworld, sorry. Wrong word. The Underworld series, which but was... But she also wrote for some shows on Nickelodeon that you watched. Yeah, she wrote for several Nickelodeon shows. Clarissa Explains It All, um, Oswald, uh, Shelby Woo, which I really liked when I was a kid. So she's got you know good experience writing for children. And uh, did have that um, the Underworld series, which is about from I've heard of it before. It's about like a giant or something, uh, mm -hmm. really like a fantastical kind of thing. Um, but obviously, you know, made it big with the Hunger Games. Right. And then they made the, the movies out of the, the Hunger Games books. I've always found the plot and the concept of the Hunger Games to be really entertaining and really interesting. And my problem with the series has been, and my guesses will continue to be, is the writing is just not at a caliber that I think is good enough for the storytelling, frankly, hmm. and becomes worse as the series pro series progresses. Well, I can't say in my much, opinion <laughs> much about the writing, but because I saw the movie first, you know, usually when you read a book, you try to visualize what the author is trying to describe, mm. and because I saw the movie first, I had all the images already, right? Mm. So I was kind of, I did not find there were any like strong standard descriptions of anything in mm -hmm. the book. Um, yeah, I think that that's definitely true. And so one of the things that we should touch on is that the style of the book is a sort of unique. It's first person, very narrow point of view of Katniss Everdeen, our main character. And it's in the present tense. Did you notice? But I mean... Yeah, wasn't Star Diaries the same? Uh, not Star Diaries, Return from the Stars, I mean. No. It was told from the point of view of, of how. Yes, but it was in the past tense. So the present tense, I, oh, I forgot to ask Mom what it's called. I think it's called the historical tense. I could be wrong about that. Mm -hmm. But it's basically, so instead of saying, you know, Katniss sat in the chair and ate her cereal, it says, I sit on my chair and drink and eat my nice. cereal. You know, so in it... It sort of is interesting in those moments where there's sort of the fighting happening in the arena. Right. Because it gives it a more immediate feel and a more like you're present in the moment kind of feel. But it's definitely difficult for a novel-length story where by nature of there being chapters, the thing you've just told is now in the past. Right. You know what I mean? So it's... it's, it's I've always found it kind of jarring. I know plenty of people don't mind it whatsoever. They didn't particularly notice it. Yeah. But the the bigger thing being the close point of view to Katniss, which I think works very well in the first Hunger Games book and does not translate so well to the other two. So let's talk through the plot. Who is Katniss? So Katniss Everdeen is this girl who lives in this place called the Seam, mm -hmm. which is this kind of poor area of coal miners, I guess. Mm -hmm. Seam must refer to Seam of Coal, I would guess. That's oh, yeah. what it's called. Mm -hmm. And so how old is she? She's, she said she's 16. 16. Yeah. And basically they're kind of poor people living in this uh, seam area that's kind of uh, fenced in and, and, and uh, 
there seems to be some government forces kind of keeping them down. They're very poor. And one of the things that she does, something that her father taught her, is to sneak out beyond the fence into the wilderness to go hunting. Mm -hmm. And she's really good with a bow and arrow. Mm -hmm. Again, this is a bow, first bow, like her father made us some fancy bow. Mm -hmm. And she can, like, you know, when she gets a rabbit, she can hit it in the eye. Right. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Right. And we learn that she lives in the scene, which is a part of uh, a district called District 12. Right. So her father is dead. So her father mm -hmm. died in a mining accident. So he lives with, she lives with her mother and her little and sister. Her sister, Prim. Mm -hmm. And we, we learn from, from her that her mother basically kind of became almost catatonic after the father's death. She became, she had like serious, serious mental problems. Right. And Katniss kind of helped, had to, was forced to hold everything together for quite a while mm -hmm. before her mother kind of came out of it. Right. So Katniss's father dies, well, I believe, when Katniss is 11. And the mom does spiral into this depression, and so Katniss, and basically they get to a point where they almost starve. Right. Right, chronologically speaking. So the story is kind of told to us pretty much chronologically, but Katniss has flashbacks and things like that. But just to tell the story chronologically, at this point, when she's uh, almost starving one day, she goes like scrounging through some trash bins and stuff by this bakery, and she's getting shooed away by the baker who's telling her to leave. She, you know, she's sitting at the bottom of a tree in the rain she's almost dead and this boy comes out and gives her bread and throws throws bread at her doesn't look at her but throws bread in her direction and she's able to get the bread and uh feed herself and her mom that night and then the next day kind of like spring breaks more or less and she realizes that they can survive off of the food in the forest right. and that's kind of like her turning point uh, at that point, and, and so then, she runs a little business by you know hunting and selling yeah. squirrels and, and rabbits. And mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the police that are present in District Twelve are called the peacekeepers. Right. And the peacekeepers kind of turn a blind eye to the fact that she's illegally hunting because they also buy the food that she brings in, and so she's able to sell that stuff. So the story starts on the morning, in the morning of a very important day. Right. Which is the reaping day. The reaping day. And she wakes up and she's going to go out hunting with her friend, Gail, Gail in right. the woods, right? Right. So, do you want to describe when they when she meets up with Gail? They just meet by whatever, where the hole in the fences, or, mm -hmm. and they go up and go into the in the woods and they do some hunting. They kind of hang out and, and say, well, wouldn't it be nice? Maybe we should just run away from this place and then we can live off the land mm -hmm. and, and stuff kind of dreaming. I think they catch some fish they, mm -hmm. they, and then then they go back. Right. And then they go back and they get dressed up and ready for the reaping day. So what is the reaping day? So the reaping day, we find out, is the day that tributes, two tributes from each district, are selected to participate in the Hunger Games. And the Hunger Games are kind of gladiator-style games that are televised, where they take two kids from each district between the ages of 12 and 18, right. and put them in an arena, and whoever is the last survivor wins. Right, and the arena is kind of an environment that could be anything at all. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think they mentioned some others where there was like maybe in a desert or maybe in woods or mm -hmm. something. And so one, one time when you know, there was like an ice one, the, the idea being that the game makers, the people that are designing the, the game, want it to be entertaining. So they don't want, you know, the, the, we are, our characters think about the fact that the year that there was like all ice, for example, half the tributes froze to death. It wasn't entertaining for the right. Audience. So the, the the entertainment is that the the tributes have to kill each other until one, there's one left, mm -hmm. and that the one is declared the winner. Right, 
And this is the 74th Hunger Games, so we know this has been going on at this point for 74 years. So Reaping Day is the day that the people, the children are chosen, and as Katniss, uh, Katniss gets dressed up, her sister Prim gets dressed up, it's Prim's first time. Right, so the, I think the way she describes the way it works, there's like a little ball with the people's names, Yeah. kids' names, and the first year you, you only get one name, and the, that remains, and next year you get another one, mm -hmm. so like at, at the end, as, as time goes on, your chances of getting picked uh, get a little bit larger. Right, exactly. Unless <coughs> you're very poor and you need extra food. In which case you could put in for extra food, which I, um, I believe they call the tesserie. Tesserie? Right. That's right. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Yeah, that. and if you if you put in for extra food with the government, they... No, I think you put your name in extra times or something. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you ask for extra food and they give it to you, you the payment is that you put your name in extra times. Right. You can do it once you turn 12 and you could do it once a month each month on your what would be your birthday basically so Katniss's birth she mentions it's like May something so she she does it and then they just give you like some grain and stuff right it's like not a lot so Katniss's name is in 20 some odd times in the bowl Gail who has multiple younger siblings his name is in there like 40 or 50 times something like that he's got like a huge number and he's 18 at this point so he's at the last year he could possibly be picked and at the most number of chances there can be. So what's the backstory for this Hunger Games thing? Right, so we don't quite mm -hmm. find out because Katniss doesn't read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with, the, with the, in all these science fiction books somebody sits down and reads a book about history but she remembers her history class which is similar. <laughs> I mean basically it seems like there was there were 13 districts, right? and then... There was some kind of revolution in District 13, mm -hmm. and it was suppressed by the capital, wherever they are. Right. And to punish everybody else, to keep them reminding them that there should be no more revolutions, they instituted these Hunger Games, where each district sends, you know, two kids basically as the tributes, and they mm -hmm. fight to the death, and there's one winner, and I think the district that wins gets something. They get like so yeah they they get like extra food and stuff for a little while um, and the, obviously the winner gets to be all rich and famous and stuff like that. Well, I'm not dead. Not dead. Yeah, and you and I were kind of talking about this before that the the connection between the capital doesn't want the districts to rebel, so they're going to make the Hunger Games so that the districts remember not to rebel is kind of tenuous, and it's yeah, kind of one of the main premises of the story. <laughs> Right, it doesn't quite kind of make sense, like, you know, what if the districts decided not, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, I mean, some of the districts are the districts that do grow food, so what they decided to keep it, mm -hmm. you know, is, is, I don't know, there is not enough information, right? Right, well, I think one of the things is that the districts aren't allowed to communicate with each other. So maybe that keeps down right. some rebellion. But we're also unclear about exactly what the populations are because, like like you pointed out, when they go to the reaping day, um, everybody fits in, like, the town square. All the kids between 12 and 18 right. just kind of, like, fit in the town square. Yeah, and like so, in the movie, it's a few hundred at most. So it's, like, right. how, how small are these districts? Right. Because is it, like, the size of a state or is it, like... So I, I was looking small. up some stuff online and, and, and they had a map of... America basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a district was like the size of a state. So there's probably more than a few hundred kids between twelve and eighteen. Yeah. Well like so where we're like we're in New Jersey, so we would be District Twelve. 
No, D District 12 was Appalachia, so that, that's like West Virginia, those areas, that's where the coal is. Well, we, we would be closest to District 12. We would be, well, I think technically on the Pan Am map, we would be underwater. Because the Pan Am map accounts for like rising seas and stuff like yeah. that. There is a map that exists. But, so they go to Reaping Day, and they're, everybody's nervous, you know, because they could be picked for the Reaping Day. So what was the name of the woman who, Elfie, Effie? Effie, Effie Trinket. Effie Trinket. Who's played in the movie by, I believe, Elizabeth Banks, and she does a fantastic job. She's so good as Effie Trinket. The, the casting for the movie was very good in terms of ability, but we'll talk about some other issues with the casting later. Yeah, Effie Hamish Trinket comes. Is there. Yes, Hamish. Who's Hamish? Hamish is a person from District 12, just, uh, District 12, who mm -hmm. had won the Hunger Games in the past, mm -hmm. and he's kind of involved with this reaping and stuff, but he's seems to be more into just getting drunk and falling over. Right. Which kind of, I think, is a good a good foreshadowing device for what it's like to win. Yeah. Right? And everyone's kind of like, you know, oh, Hamish is just like this drunk and he's an embarrassment and all these things. But no one in the story, even Katniss, really, at least in this book, really stops to think about, like, why a he's like that. Well, right, she doesn't think that in the beginning. Yeah. Towards the end of the game, she starts to think about that. Yeah. What it would be like right. to be the winner mm -hmm. and what it means. Yeah. So, reaping starts, and I want an interesting term, too, with a reaping day. I love, I love like, the, the lang some of the language used for different things, peacekeepers, Reaping Day, Hunger Games, things like that is very like dystopia propaganda. And yeah. I think it's great. So like the Reaping Day is really good. But Peacekeepers that that's a typical kind of a name. Yeah. Reaping Day is a little bit more There's like some real like dark dark things in the in the story which which I like. So So they day. pick a girl first, you know, and girls who, first. And who is it? It's Prim. Uh oh Prim is uh, Katniss' sister, who just turned twelve. Mm hmm Whose name is in the bowl once. Right. And she gets picked. And everyone's kind of upset by it because everybody gets upset when a twelve-year-old gets picked because they—it's kind of unfair, right? It's like they only their name's only in there once. This is their first time, etc. Right. So Prim starts to head up towards the stage, and what does Katniss do? Katniss says, "No, I volunteer." She she, mm -hmm. and they said, "Oh, okay, great, volunteers are welcome." Mm -hmm. So Prim goes back, and I think Gail actually has to pry her uh, Prim mm -hmm. off Katniss. Right? Yep and bring it back and Katniss goes up on the stage. Right. So Katniss takes her sister's place and uh, then Peta is picked, Peta right. Malark, right. who is the baker's boy who had given Katniss that bread. Five years earlier. Yeah. And I think actually now is when we get the flashback about the bread as at the point in time Probably, on the stage. Yeah. We, don't, mm -hmm. it's not, we don't get it chronologically. So yeah, so then they're picked and they have to go uh, the capital. To the capital. And there's like a series of where they get to say goodbye to various say people. Goodbye. Yeah, I yeah. think the baker actually brings us something. The Yeah, Peter's father, and, I, and I, I find this really interesting, and I wish the book was more like a piece of literature so that it had, so this had some meaning, or I'm like trying to pull something out of it. Peter's father comes and visits Katniss. Right. He doesn't say anything. He gives her a bag of cookies. Right. And like, they don't have any kind of conversation. We learn later, much, much later in the story, that Peter's father had been in love with Katniss's mother. Right. And but Katniss's mother had, you know, married someone else. Yeah. And Peter's father en ends up having this like horrible wife that they refer to as like a witch and stuff like that. And she's mean and she the, she hits. Yeah, she's she's really she's the one that was yelling at Katniss <clears throat> to get away. She hits Peter. 
she's like quite abusive yeah so i don't know i like i don't know what that means like he came to see her and gave her cookies and and when he promises to make sure that prim won't starve right because one of the things is, you know, if Katniss is going, who's going to be providing food? Right. And she knows, you know, Gail will help, of course. But then there's also these other people that are promising to help as well. And she gets a visit from the mayor's daughter. Do you remember that? Right, and she gives it a pin, mm -hmm. the uh, Mockingjay pin. Yeah, so the golden Mockingjay pin. Is that, at this point, they talk about Mockingjays and, and all that kind of Not so much later. Okay, they do that so in, we'll in the arena. Yeah, she gives her a pin that's a, it's like a gold circle with a Mockingjay on it. And uh, the tributes are allowed to wear like a token from their district. Right. So the mayor's daughter says, you know, will you, will you wear this? And Katniss says, yeah, okay, no problem. So then they're whisked away. Right, they go on a train. Mm -hmm. They take a train trip to the capital. Mm -hmm. It takes a few days. Yep. And it's so fancy. <laughs> right, so they get all the food and, and I think uh, Katniss is a little bit uh, difficult at the beginning mm -hmm. with Hamish and uh, and uh, you know, he's supposed to advise them how to survive, mm -hmm. right? But all he is is being drunk all the time. Most of the time, yeah. Yeah. One of the things on the train is that they encounter their first meals, like capital-style meals. And the food is luxurious, and they have hot chocolate for the first time. And Katniss, like, loves hot chocolate. And they eat and eat and eat. And it's, I think, kind of the first hint you get that the poverty that the districts are feeling which you learn about throughout the book is purposefully imposed mm. as opposed to a necessary issue right you know that there is you know Katniss describes not having enough food and plenty of people in district 12 starving and she describes other things like they would only get electricity for a few hours a night in district 12 but as you get closer to the capital and you see the things getting fancier and the technologies and stuff it's apparent that they have the resources they're just not sharing them on the hoarding Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Weird that that would happen in a country. Huh. So well, kind of like, you know, if you look at the colonial powers, that's kind of exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. right? So there's a scene. So I was reading the book. I was looking up like scenes from the movie that, that, that kind mm -hmm. of covered the particular thing. There's a scene on the train where she's uh, kind of having an argument with Hamish. And he said, you know, if you want to survive, first step you have to do is be nice mm -hmm. because you're not going to get any sponsors. Mm -hmm. Right. Was that in the book as well? Okay. Yeah, so the sponsor system is like once you're in the arena, they can send you stuff, medicine, tools, food, they can send it to you, um, but you people on the outside need to be paying for it. And if nobody likes you and nobody wants you to win, they're not going to be sending you anything. So Hamish is like, yeah, you got to be nicer. I think is that when Katniss stabs the table? Because Haymitch is like just drinking and sort of being very laissez-faire about everything or whatever. And Peta and Katniss are like, no, this is serious. This is like, we're going to go into this arena. We need your help. And so they try to make a point to Haymitch that uh, he needs to take it more seriously. And at least in the in the books, it's when he's he makes some comments like, oh, maybe, like do I have some actual fighters this year? Because there's kind of a difference in quality of tributes between right. District 12 and like District 1, for example. Do you want to explain the... the I don't, don't remember. I think there's some districts where people train to be tributes. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. There's district. Like a sports team. Yeah. Right. Te so technically, it's illegal to train for the games, but people obviously. Well, you can volunteer, right? So. Yeah. It, it, people can. People do it anyway. So district one and two, and sometimes it seems like sometimes they also consider the district four in that, but it's kind of unclear. 
But districts one and two, those those tributes are called the careers because they're kids that have trained for the games and have waited to be 18 and volunteered. So you have to think also that in district one and two, if you know that multiple people are going to be volunteering, you never actually have to be worried about being picked for the Hunger Games mm-hmm. because there's always going to be volunteers. So the fear that it causes in the more distant districts is not the same as the districts that are closer to the capital and the wealthier districts. Right. So it's kind of a, an interesting bit in there. So yeah, so Hamish is excited about having actual fighters. Oh, also they always pick one girl, one boy from every district. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what the next thing is. They get so to they get to the city. and They get uh, to the big city with the big lights. <laughs> right. So this is something we talked uh, about uh, before this podcast, is that there's a lot of these science fiction stories or these kinds of stories is it's always like a, a country bumpkin comes to the city and shows them. Mm-hmm. So Katniss is a typical an example. Another one is Luke Skywalker, who was you know raised on a farm, mm-hmm. a little farm boy, you know, going back to uh, Superman. Superman came mm-hmm. from space, but he was raised by some nice farm family, Iowa. Right, exactly. So it's the same kind of thing. They're like coming from this like backwards kind of situation, and then when they get to the capital, they get this oh, like beauty treatment. Kind right, of right. So this, I find this kind of funny, yeah, almost. Um, so they, they, you know, arrive there and they have to have a parade. So they have this guy, what, I forget his name, who's like... Sinna. Sinna, right. Yeah. So I, I see this gay man who's, who's like arranging uh, and preparing them to get ready uh, to appear on, on this thing. And he, I didn't remember this from the movie, not that he has this idea about, you know, coal, what can we do about coal? Well, fire. Yeah. And they do these... these uh, uh, costumes that are on fire as they're riding down. The, mm-hmm. I guess it's the parade is, is in the, and they're going in chariots and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, Sinna, who's Sinna played by in the movie? I think he's played by Lenny Kravitz in the movie. He, he, and Sinna's a recurring character in the later books as well. Yeah, he's very like, he's like less intense than the other people in the capital. Like, F, like Effie Trinket, for example, is described as having, like, big pink hair, and yeah. some of the other people have, like... Oh, the guy who does the interviews, what was his name? Oh, Caesar, um... Flickerman. Right. Caesar Flickerman. Yeah, him too, he's got, like, powder blue hair, and yeah, powder yeah. blue eyeshadow, and, like, all these things. And Cinna is described as just having brown hair, brown short hair, and gold eyeliner. And that's, like, his whole description. Uh, and just kind of being, like, very chill. And he has this, like, really good idea. So in the past, Katniss describes how people from District 12 had always been dressed in, like, coal miner outfits and, like, looked kind of stupid. And there was right. one year where the tributes were just totally naked but covered in, like, um, ash. Coal dust, dust yeah. Yeah, coal dust to represent coal or whatever. And so and Senna's like, yeah, well, coal bur- what do we do with coal? We burn it. So let's burn. Let's put you on. Let's set you on fire. It'll be good. Yeah. So he does. It's good. It makes an impression. It makes a big impression. They go down... In their chariot, they get everyone's attention, and Hamish, is it Hamish or Cinna? No, it's Cinna, tells them just before their chariot goes out to hold hands. Right. So, and they're the only pair of tributes that are holding hands of all the tributes. Right. All the 24, um, which ends up being significant. So that's, they're starting their strategy that way. So they have the, the pair of parade, there's the interviews, right? Then there's the, I think the next thing is the interviews? Right. I don't remember the order. Is the interviews next or is the training next? It's both. 
it's like training is in the day and then preparing for interviews as well something like that yeah so i, I forgot the order exactly but i think it's so training first because she doesn't find out she doesn't figure out what the strategy is until the interview and they don't tell her i see basically right so they they do the training the training just like you know daily training whatever they're they're prepping to perform in a secret room for the right, game so, makers. So the game makers are supposed to like give them uh, like scores or something, mm -hmm. you know, or which determine kind of sort of what your chances might be. Mm -hmm. And when they train with the other tributes in this big training gym, they don't necessarily want to reveal what their strengths are, mm -hmm. right? So that's what Hamish tells them. Right. So they, they learn other stuff. Right, they learn like not tying and... Camouflage. Camouflage, yeah. Oh, we, and we find out from the camouflage one that Peta uh, used to decorate the cakes back at the bakery, so he's actually a really good painter, pretty much. And he's able to paint like his arm to make it look like, like with mud and stuff, to make it look like a tree branch or something. Right. And uh, he's like, you know, I can camouflage, yay. And Katniss is like, okay, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares, Peta. <laughs> so then they end up having this like, pri this like private session with the game makers where they're going to get this score, they go, you know, in order. Those 24 tributes. They start with District 1. So, so District 12 is last. District 12 yeah. is last. Katniss is second to last. And by the time she goes in for this evaluation... Or demonstration is really... Yeah. Game makers are bored. Yeah. Right? They're not paying attention. They all have, like, food up on the dais where they are, and they're just not paying any attention to her so she gets her bow out and she's shooting stuff it's really cool but she's showing how that she's good with the bow because prior to that she wasn't revealing right. that exactly so she's like showing them how good she is and they're just not paying any attention so what happens when they're not paying any attention so well she noticed there's a pig with an apple mm -hmm. and when you have a bow and arrow and an apple you know what do you do <laughs> you naturally shoot it <laughs> exactly so she shoots an arrow into the you know this pig mm -hmm. into the, the app you know the into the apple and of course that certainly draws attention right and, and i think this was done the same way in the movie yeah it's very similar in the movie so the pig is like a big roasted pig that's up with the game makers so she shoots into the crowd of game makers pretty much which is bad <laughs> but she hits the apple and nobody else so it's okay right. and, and then she says thank you very much and, leaves. and she walks out <laughs> <laughs> so after that, she's convinced that she's going to get like, a super low score, right. and she's surprised they haven't killed her yet because she shot the game makers and all these things. And then the scores are revealed, right. and and she's like at the top. Oh. She gets an eleven. Yeah. She gets the highest score out of all the tributes. The next highest is a ten, which I think is Cato or one of the district ones. Mm -hmm. So she gets an eleven. And the thing is that those the, the training sessions are kept secret, so none of the other tributes know why. Why? She got right. such a high they, score. They, they don't know what the what the demonstration was. Right. So they're all like, oh, what's going on? Then it's the interviews. Right. Then they have the interviews, yeah. so they get all dressed up. That that's that's mm -hmm. kind of what I found kind of out of out of place where they, the, 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 the book spends a little bit for my taste anyway, mm -hmm. too much time about, you know, the dresses and the makeup and, and that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, it, it's definitely there's definitely things throughout the story that are jarringly out of place. And I, again, I'm not sure if that's purposeful, like to draw that juxtaposition between like glamour and violence, or if that's, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I assume it's because she's a girl. I don't know. I don't know if it's because, because it's not like there isn't just time. I mean, I guess there's 
part of it too is that it's from the point of view of Katniss, right? So yeah. Katniss is going to talk more about her process of getting ready than Pete is, because like she doesn't know what Pete well, is. Well, yeah, of course. She's not there. But you know the the. I think that the juxtaposition of things like the kind of reality show aspect of it with the like seriousness of it m might be like Maybe. a purposeful tr it's trying to make a point but it's not but it's all it's trying like it's entertainment for everybody um except the tributes yeah there's this i don't know there's some philosophers said that you know that boys kill frogs for sport but uh, but frogs die in earnest oh <laughs> that's you know. true so that's this is quote. similar kind yeah. of a thing um, so they had the interview and Katniss is really bad at talking to people and being social and being charming didn't what did they tell her to do they couldn't figure out what to do Hamish is just like I don't know what to do they try they test her out trying to be sarcastic they tr make her try to be nice they try all these different things she can't do anything and I think they make her talk about Prim right? well Cinna tells her to pretend she's talking to him right. and so that's how she she is and then C Caesar Flickerman, the interviewer, does ask her about Prim at some point, I think. Right. So she gets through her interview, no big deal. And uh, then Peter goes. Right. And how's well, Peter's interview? So Peter's interview, all of a sudden, some, they asked him about, so it was the girl you left in your district that is like special. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, there is a girl, but she wasn't left. <laughs> and, yeah. and and uh, Katniss essentially falls off her chair. Yeah, and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> and she didn't know this was going to happen, mm -hmm. so she kind of turns all kinds of red, blue, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, and she's somewhat embarrassed. And right, and so then afterwards, they they when they get to the their floor in the hotel, basically, she pushes him and yells at him for you know saying that he's in love with her on live TV. And she's like, you know, you made me look weak. How dare you do this? And Hamish stops her and is like, he just did the greatest thing he could for you. He made you look desirable. Right. Because now if he wants you, everyone else does. And this whole kind of uh, star-crossed lovers thing right. begins to take shape. Right. In terms of like that this is going to be their strategy to pretend. And, and up until this point, they had held hands on the chariot. They were told in training to stay near each other's side. You know, they were kind of always kept as a pair, right. which is different from the other tributes. So they're able to kind of play this angle that gets them a lot more attention than the tributes from District 12 normally get. Yeah, right. yeah. So the next thing that happens... The next thing is the arena, no? Yeah. So yeah. basically the most, I, I suppose most people saw the movie, but basically the way the games start is they get put on the arena where around the cornucopia which is like a mm -hmm. this horn-shaped thing with the weapons and supplies etc etc mm -hmm. and basically in the all the tributes turn around it and then when the game starts you get a chance to grab something mm -hmm. but what Hamid what did Hamid tell them to do? Hamid told them to turn and run away from the cornucopia because it's a bloodbath because there's all this stuff there and what happens is all the tributes all people the stronger will, ones will, yeah they all run at the stuff and the stronger ones just kill tons of people there and you know Katniss is good with a bow and so when when she's entered into the arena she sees that there is a bow and quiver right, so I think the way it works is like they they get lifted on these platforms to the arena and right. they have like I don't know 10 seconds to stand there and mm -hmm. then then they go right? right so she sees that there's like weapons and stuff there but but it's kind of far 
and she could get to it, but could she get away from it and all these things. And Also, so, she's Peter telling her no. Yeah, Peter looks at her and waits, shakes his head, like, don't do it. And she kind of does like a ha she kind of meets it halfway. She runs and grabs a few supplies that are close. Yeah, he grabs, she grabs a backpack. Right. And, well, what happens was, is that she goes for a backpack, and then some other kid goes for a backpack, mm -hmm. right? And the kid, uh, the boy goes, goes, they both grab it together. The boy has some weapon and starts, in the movie at least, mm -hmm. he's about to hit her, and then she gets hit with a knife by... Yeah, by Clo was, Clove. Clove. Clove is the one that throws knives. Yeah, so he gets killed by Clove. And so, then she throws one at Katniss. Right, but Katniss has the backpack, so the knife goes into the backpack. So she says, thank you for the knife. And yeah, she runs and away. then she runs. <laughs> and then Katniss spends, like, many chapters and many days looking for water. Right, so that was also advice from um, Hamish. He said, mm -hmm. find water. Right. First thing, find water. Run away and find water. Right. And uh, the arena this time was like a woody kind of area with some mm -hmm. like like woods and stuff so which is kind of like Katniss's playground because she used to spend lots of time in the woods mm -hmm. and so she eventually takes a while to find water which is actually what happens is right to the cornucopia there's a lake right so there, there's a source of water right next to the cornucopia and for a while Katniss thinks oh no is that the only source of water right because there's and you learn in later books that in some some games they limit the source of water so the kind of Things that force tributes to interact with each other. Right. And this hap it happens in this one too. Yeah. So she... And this is the thing where pacing is kind of, pacing is kind of ineffable in books and movies. I find the pacing in the Hunger Games to be 98% of the time very good. I think it's very action. It's very like go, go, go. There's right. Not, you, want, you want to continue reading. Right. There's not a lot of filler. There are moments though when I don't need to know the color of Katniss's urine and that it's brown because we're on day three of not having water like I get it you don't have water there was oh. some editing that needed to happen <laughs> and also the number of times Katniss describes what she's hunting how she's hunting it how, how she cleans the body how she cooks all these things it's like tell me one time and then just next time just say and then she ate some rabbit you know like just the details needed to be edited down not because the story was too long but because maybe that would have left some word space for like Describing things. You don't get a good sense from the text what the arena was like, what the woods were like. Well, it's just like generic woods, right. generic stream, exactly. a couple of generic rocks, you know. Exactly. So there was so that you spend multiple days with Katniss being thirsty, and it's very boring. So the other interesting thing is because she's um, used to working, doing stuff in the woods. She when she spends a night, she climbs up into the trees mm -hmm. and he ties herself in. Right. So she's up there. And I think the, the backpack that she had had a sleeping bag so she could mm -hmm. st stay warm and right. stuff when she slept. So she's glad that she kind of disobeyed what Hamish said. Which again, sounds like it should be getting at something, but then isn't. It's very... We'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. So a couple of... Uh, I mean, you know, she eventually does, she does find water. Um, a couple of... There's a few interactions with some people she sees another tribute, light a fire in the middle of the night and get killed. Right. Because the fire, obviously, the, the other tributes could find the person. She overhears a conversation with some of the tributes and with PETA. Right, but isn't when when what happens when they chase up a tree? That's late. That's later. That's later. Yeah. So first it's the it's the overheard conversation, then it's the tracker jackers. So the overheard conversation, she's in the tree, and they don't realize she's up there, and it's the careers. So the 
people from one to right that couple you know, like the ben. strong ones right the strong ones and Peta together which is she's kind of surprised by that taking right. it back and she thinks in her you know because we're in her head so we know what her thoughts are she thinks he's betrayed her right and that he's just been acting this whole time and he's you know with the the careers for for himself basically, basically. and he says to the careers you know oh you know she's She's close. She's close by. That was one of her traps back there. Like, let's keep going. And she hears the couriers talking amongst themselves, saying, "You know, oh, let's just kill him." And then they say, "No, he's the best way to get to her." So she thinks he's helping them mm. track her. So then, at the, one of the things that they that was present at Cornucopia is like supplies, food, and, and things like that. So mm -hmm. they, the the couriers collect them all and they they keep them in the like a little camp and they mm -hmm. have a booby trap the whole thing right yeah so what does Katniss do about that well she does that's later that's after she meets with Rue oh is it yeah okay so what what happens next on that I, I just finished listening to the audiobook this morning so my recollection of this is, is, is like so I think <laughs> very high I think the next time is when they chase up the tree right? tree yeah the next is the tree so so what happens with the tree so she runs into um, into the careers basically and they start chasing her right Mm -hmm. And she's really good at climbing trees. She doesn't. Ha she only has a knife, right? Mm -hmm. And that's all. All the weapon she has. So she starts climbing up a tree, and like one of the boys starts going after her. But she's a much better climber. She can climb much, much higher. Mm -hmm. And basically, the the boy cannot climb that high because the branches will not hold him. Mm -hmm. Right. So they said, well, let's just leave her up and we'll just camp under the tree. And eventually, she has to come down. Right. Right. And Pete <coughs> is down there with them, and he's like, yeah, just wait, just wait her out. At some point in time, she describes herself as being 80 feet up in this tree. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's way higher than it looks in the movie. It's well, so, so high up. So, yeah, so she's like way up in this tree. Oh, and she had been burned, right, by then? Yeah, because she gets the medicine. Yeah, remember there was there was the fire. So one of the things is the game makers can, can they control the environment. The environment. They, you kind of get the idea that the entire environment's artificial. And she, I guess she was too far away from the other tributes. So they had set part of the forest on fire. She gets injured, and that then she runs into them. So she's got like a burned leg, and I don't remember if she gets the she gets medicine for it eventually that Hamish right. sends her. Right. But I don't remember if it's when she's in the tree or if it's later. But it might be when she's in a tree. So she's kind of she's injured. She's stuck in a tree. You know, oh, what happens? What what, what do you do? And she notices um, one of the other tributes, who's a girl named Rue, who's from District Eleven. Who's 12 years old. Right. And she's up in the trees too. What does she point? Do you remember what she points out yeah, to Yeah, she Dennis? points to this nest of... Uh, tracker jacker. Tracker jackers. Right. Yeah. What are they? What are those? The tracker jackers are genetically mutated wasps, basically. And the story contains a few of these, what they call mutations. That's like the word mutations, but with an extra T. So it's mutations. And it's like a very deadly form of bee basically that a few stings give you like horrible hallucinations but you may survive but more than that uh you're gonna die super die and they'll follow you right. so they get angry and mm -hmm. it's very hard to escape from tracker jackers and the nest is conveniently right over where the okay. people below are sleeping so so this takes out a knife <laughs> yeah which has a little serrated thing on the other side and mm -hmm. starts slowly cutting the branch. Mm -hmm. 
and did she wait for the night or? I forget. She, there's some issue where she starts and then she stops. I don't remember why. Right, because she was waiting for like a right right point. So yeah. at some point she dropped, she cuts it, so the nest falls mm -hmm. and basically starts right smack in the middle of the camp of the careers and stuff. So they all run away mm -hmm. as much as as, as they can. Mm -hmm. And captains get bitten as well. She get yeah, she gets stung a couple times. Right. So she gets stung a couple times. She starts to hallucinate. The tracker jackers end up killing two of them. The girl Glimmer. Uh, who was from District Two, District No District One, Colbertson District Two, and the girl from District Four, who we never get named. Glimmer had had the bow, and so Katniss is able to get the bow and arrows. Right. And then she spends a few days hallucinating things. And one of the things that she remembers is Peta telling her to run and to go, something along those lines, and like Peta saving her pretty much. But it's part of like a series of hallucinations, so she's not really sure what is. Or isn't real? No, but there, there was one, at one point that Peter saves her, right? Mm -hmm. Where she comes down from the tree, and she knows to go to retrieve the bow. But the some of the careers of this, there's somebody there still, and Peter attacks him, and I, I don't think he kills him, but he disables him or get, let lets gives her enough time so that she can escape, and then okay. Peter can also needs to escape away from those from mm -hmm. the careers because they're not going to. Still right, right, exactly. Yeah. So Peter saves her. But when she wakes up, she's like not sure if that was a hallucination or if that really happened. She's right. kind of confused by all of that. And Rue also comes into picture here now. Shortly, yeah, shortly after. So she wakes up from her. So she, basically the venom has to pass through. Right. And she has to kind of just deal with it for a bit. And then shortly thereafter, she comes into contact with Rue. Right. And she offers Rue food. And they make an alliance with them. And she says straight up to the to the reader, you know, Rue reminds me of Prim. Right. right. She's twelve. She's a little she's a little girl. She needs protection. And she sings. And right. she sings, yeah. Right. So they can very make noises of the mocking jays, mm -hmm. and the mocking jays can make their noise and they, sing their songs. Right. And this is this when they decide that she decides to go and, and do something about the food supplies. Yes. Of the careers. Yes. So they were, the two of them were just talking about the fact that they, the careers kind of have this infinite food supply. And they devised this plan that basically involves Rue setting a series of fires in the woods to lure the careers away from the camp. And then while the careers are away, for Katniss to go in and figure out a, a way to destroy the food. Right. It was just kind of like this broad concept of like, somehow destroy it. So Katniss goes and they're, they're in the process of doing this. And the food's all in this like big pyramid, like all the supplies. Right, but there's also there's like the booby traps like around it in yeah, ponds or something. How does she find that out? So it's what happens is she goes and it's she finds it strange that they leave just one person to guard everything. And it's like one of the weaker kids. It's like the right. kid from District Three. District Three is where they make like a lot of technology. Mm. So she's like, it's weird that he's part of their alliance and it's weird that they leave him behind to guard everything. Everything's in this like beautiful open pile and it's just like sitting out there. There's no there's nothing really going on. And she sees another tribute, who she always refers to as Foxface, who's a very smart tribute, go towards the pile of food, and Foxface very carefully jumps in certain places to get to the food. And what Katniss realizes is that when the tributes were first brought into the arena, they're brought up on those platforms, there are bombs around the platforms that go off and will kill you, if you step off the platform early, right. basically. 
once the game starts, the bombs are disabled. But it looks like they've been dug up. Right. And she realizes, oh, the kid from District 3 is from the Technology District. You know, what if he... Oh, right, so he can set them up. What if he react like, they dug them up and he reactivated them. And that's why he's getting the protection of the careers, because he was the one who's his one controlling the bombs. So she figures out, I just need to activate the bombs. And so she does. Right, so in the book, there's something like hanging. Mm-hmm. And she figures if she can make a drop, the bombs will go off. Mm -hmm. But is that, is that kid even there when she does this? Oh no. He is. He's like on the other side, though, of the cornucopia. Okay. So he doesn't get killed by the explosion. Yeah. yeah she, so she like makes apples or something fall, and it, it activates the bombs, and everything explodes. Well, in the book, what she does, she she makes this thing is tied on the rope, mm -hmm. and she hits the rope with the arrow, and that cuts the rope, and the thing falls. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's still a bag of apples. But she, yeah, she makes it fall and then it activates the bombs and boom, everything explodes. And then the careers come running back and they think something's gone wrong. They kill the boy from three and now they have no supplies. Whoops. Hunger Games. Yeah. And right. then what happens? So then she goes to, to find Rue, mm -hmm. right? And uh, she finds that Rue is caught in this trap. Mm -hmm. And just as she's, she gets the, uh, one of the boys from the other group, the one with the uh, spear comes, mm -hmm. and he spears Rue, mm -hmm. and he kills her, and she kills him. Right. You know, and that's kind of like, he throws the, the, the spear, and, and she shoots him as the spear is flying, and the Rue gets hit, and, and, and Rue dies there. And, and so she, she's kind of very somewhat upset by that, and then she makes mm -hmm. like a little funeral because what happens is then uh, every night they announce who's who's dead mm -hmm. and they come and take the body away mm -hmm. right so she puts like flowers around and, and stuff and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, as a result later on I mean people from district I guess 11 mm -hmm. uh, sent her some some, some stuff, bread some yeah. Food, yeah they send her uh, some bread from district 11 and yeah she's real upset about it so um, the other thing, actually, we forgot to mention is that when and the scene happens where Peter helps her, mm -hmm. defends her, Peter gets injured because somebody just right. slashes his leg. Yeah, right. So then she's alone in the woods again, and I guess it's at this point that the announcement is made about the rule change. Right, the change in... Right, right. So the two, they're saying that two people can win. Right. So there's an announcement that there can be two victors if they're both from the same district. So the only pairs left are Clove and Cato, who are right. both from District 2, and Katniss and Peta, who are both from District 12. So Katniss immediately starts go looking for, for starts Peter. to go looking for Peta. And she kind of like, she's like, well, he must be by water, so I'm just going to walk along the river indefinitely. <laughs> she, so she goes and she manages to find him. Uh, and wh where is Peta hiding? Do In the mud or something. It's like mm -hmm. he... he being master uh, of baking, yeah, <laughs> he camouflaged himself so much that you couldn't see him. Right, right. So he's just straight up like laying next to the river, but she, you know, he's like totally in, um, invisible, basically. And he is in bad shape. Right, he has got his legs getting infected. Mm -hmm. So, and it starts raining. So they find like a little cave to hide in, mm -hmm. and she's trying to cure him a little bit. You know, giving him some food and. And she realizes she's going to need some medicine. Right. right. And I think she's saying, you know, I wish Hamish would get some sponsors to get some medicine for me, but nothing. Mm -hmm. and, and then she 
they have like some touching moments in the cave or whatever and she's like but oh. she says you know might as well you know play this this talk of lover so she, she, right she, well so she kisses him or he kisses her or something and immediately they get like a little tin of soup right. sent to them and doesn't hey much send a message with one of them or did she she imputes the message i forget he sends her something that she interprets as a message right because um, she interprets she basically the point is she gets the hint from Hamish that you need to play off of this angle right. to get what you need from me right. so she that's what she continues to do right. basically but there's like rain it rained for a couple of days and they're kind of stuck in this cave yeah and then he he's not really getting better and so then the game makers came up with this thing that said there's going to be something at cornucopia mm -hmm. something that you need you just have to go get it Right, because they're trying to make everyone interact with each other. Right. Exactly. So, Peter says, no, no, no. Don't you're go. not going. You're not risking your life for me. Whatever. He's dying at this point. He's got like an infection that's not going right. to stop. Right. You're not risking your life for me, whatever. All right. And that's when Hamid, she gets the sleeping pills. Or right. So, so he, Hamish sends her, yeah, sleeping medication. And she, she sneakily feeds to Peter right. food or yes. something like that. Uh -huh. So, she drugs him. <laughs> and he falls asleep <laughs> and she's able to go to the cornucopia um, to see what there is so there's um right so there's a table of a bunch of things like that you know each tribute has something that, that they need mm. and so she's sitting in the woods at the edge of the, the the clearing where the cornucopia is and trying to decide what to do and all of a sudden she's fox face run out from the cornucopia grab her bag and mm. run away and she's Damn it. Yeah. That was so clever. I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, well, it says next, I have to go next because otherwise, you know, mm -hmm. whoever gets there before me is going to destroy my, my bag or mm -hmm. my, my little thing. So she runs out and then everybody else starts running out. Now, this is a point where I don't quite follow the logic here because Katniss at this point is like knows that she has to fight Kato at least. At some point, that Kate, Kato's kind of been the big bad the whole time. Right. She's got her bow and arrows, and the cornucopia is surrounded by woods. I mean, it's in a clearing, but it's like she could still snipe from one of those trees. So I don't really get why she I don't didn't. Think she could, you know, there was still a bunch of them left, so that, you know, she needed the medicine and it would be easy, uh, and was easily destroyed, like if somebody else grabbed it. But that's what I'm saying is like, like she could have left Thresh. So Thresh is the other boy from Eleven, so he would have been the pair with Rue. She could have left Thresh alone, because Thresh didn't seem to be anyone that was going to be bothering her. But the only other two would have been Cato and Clove. So she could have easily killed the two of them on, while they were on their way to the backpack. You know what I mean? Like, they, that was like a really easy well, shot. they probably, both of them would not have run out. One of them would run out. So she could have killed Clove and avoided the subsequent almost dying from Clove that we're about right. to describe. Right. But I don't know. I, I guess it's sort of... Yeah, like the the fact that all of Katniss's murders are kind of either self-defense or like mercy killings, not like right. more active murders. But I don't know, regardless. But so anyway, so she says, "Well, I better go." So she runs, and then then Clove is after her, throwing knives. Mm -hmm. So she turns around and shoots one arrow at Clove. It injures her, but doesn't kill her. Right. And uh, Clove actually gets to her, and they start rum rumbling in a thing. And Clove is stronger, and mm -hmm. it's like. Chloe finally gets a pen down and says, okay, now I'm going to cut your pretty face. Mm -hmm. you know? And she's trying to select which knife to, to use on. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, boom, she's gone. Mm -hmm. And turns out it's different in the movie than in the book. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't was, watched the movie in a while. Yeah, in the movie, uh, there was no rocks in the movie. In the movie, they, Trash just grabs her and just throws her against the cornucopia, breaks her neck. Oh. In the movie, the Trash just smashes her head with a rock. Right. Yeah. And he says to Katniss, yeah, I guess he knows about Rue, what happened with Rue, and that, that she was defending him. So he says, I'm going to let you go this time. Right. And he does. So she's able to grab the bag and, and get out of there. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so the we're bag, down. of course, contains medicine. medicine so. Right. And so Clove is dead. We're down Clove. Then Katniss goes back and medicates Peta. Yeah, he gets better. Doesn't die. So the next thing that happens is that, you know, they have to, she has to go hunt. So he's, he's recovering. Mm-hmm. And He's not strong enough just yet, and she has to go hunt because they have eaten all the rabbits, right. the squirrels. Mm-hmm. And she tells him to be quiet, and and, and he's not. <laughs> and he doesn't know how to be walk quietly to the woods. And she's getting annoyed. She's like, I'm just trying to hunt. He's making all this noise. She makes him take his boots off. He's still making all this noise, and she kind of just like wants to put him somewhere so that he'll like not bother her basically right. while she's hunting. And he insists on gathering. He's like, if you're going to hunt, tell me like what roots to gather or whatever, and I will gather and I'll be useful. I'm not just going to sit somewhere. So she's like, all right. So she leaves him to gather some stuff, and she goes off and, and hunts a few things. So does she hear some noise or something? It's different in the movie, this scene. In this, in the movie, she hears a cannon, and she thinks it's him, and she runs back, and it's, it's not him. Oh, I see. Oh, right. So we right. forgot to say about the cannon. When some, oh, yeah. some tribute dies during the games, a cannon goes off. Right. And sometimes they miss the cannons, like if there's like a lot of noise. Noise. Oh, you know what we missed? Thrush died. Thrush dies while they're in the cave, during the rain. So after the cornucopia, when she goes and gets the medicine, when Pete is still healing, healing there's a few days. That's when there's like a lot of rain, mm-hmm. and thunder and stuff, and that's when Thrush dies. They miss the cannon, but they see his. The, so at the end of the days, they announce the project, yeah. in the sky who's died. They see that Thrush died. Right. Um, so it's assumed Cato, Cato right. killed Thrush. They're, but they're in the woods, and so she goes back to where Peter's supposed to be, and she sees, like, the backpack and some berries and stuff, but she doesn't see him. She kind of freaks out. Right. She finds him. He's fine. And she starts yelling at him. He's like, I was just picking berries. And she's like, you can't leave and stuff like that. And at this point in the story, she's... Well, so then they find Foxface. Right, so then they hear Cannon, and they, they see... They also see that, that there was some stuff, like, stolen or right. fiddle with her. Yeah, some of the, the food, some of the food in the backpack is like somewhat eaten and Katniss thinks Peter ate it but right. Peter didn't and so what ends up happening is that the berries Peter was picking turned out to be Nightlock <laughs> and Foxface had been surviving by picking off of others and as, you know assuming those things were safe if you know if the other tribute was going to eat it so what happened was Peter collected them and he put them like with together with the food mm-hmm. so Foxface assumed they were good that Peter didn't know being you know baker yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and she ate them, and, and she died. And she died. And so she gets taken out. They keep. They end up keeping some of the nightlock berries, right. in case they they're useful later or something like that. And they mm. they do end up being useful later. Good job, Katniss. So, so then, then we're down to Peta, Katniss, and Cato. Cato. So what did the game makers do to to force them together again? The dogs. No, but, but oh, they take the water away first. Right, so they have to go to the lake. Right. Right. So they take all the other water away. Katniss and Peter start heading towards the lake, and they run into Cato. Well, no, so they're sitting at the lake. They got some water, mm-hmm. right? And all of a sudden, they see Cato running at them. Mm-hmm. Right. So Katniss shoots him, but the arrow bounces off. Right. Because clearly, the thing that he asked for in his thing was some kind of like body armor kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. 
so they're getting ready to kind of fight him, but he just runs past them. Right. Like in, in a panic almost. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, do they see the dogs or something? Then they see the dogs chasing him, yeah. The, the mutts. Dogs, I mean, they're like, the, the way they describe this, they're, they're, they're very like mutant, wolvish, mm -hmm. and this was nasty, a, gnarly things. Right. This was a big difference between the book and the movies that a lot of people didn't like when the movies came out, which was that the the mutts are described, they're probably one of the scariest parts of the story, really. Yeah. The mutts are described in the book as being dog-like, but also standing on hind legs, also oh, yeah, was, using their paws like hands. Like, it's like kind of interesting. And then when Katniss gets they're a not, closer... They're not really just, just dogs. It's like, they're like kind of monstrous wolves, like, yeah. like wolfmen kind of a thingies. Yeah, and when Katniss gets a closer look at them, she realizes that there's 22 of them. And they're each um, designed after one of the fallen tributes. It will be 21. 21, yes. Math. <laughs> <laughs> Off by one error. Hashtag um, math. <laughs> well, so the way yeah. to get... They, they, I think she shoots one or two of them. Yeah, and and then she's like... she know, The way she figures it out is that there's one that's blonde. And she's like, this is a weird blonde dog. And then she realizes that the dog has green eyes. Yeah, it takes, takes like a while. Like she sees the dog's eyes. Mm -hmm. Well, so what happens is that they run on top of the cornucopia, which is like a structure. Right. And the, the dogs can't quite climb after them. Mm -hmm. So the three of them wind up there. Right. Right. And as the dogs are trying to jump up, jumping up and trying to grab her, she, she gets a good look at, at like one of them. And the eyes seem familiar. Mm -hmm. And then she realizes it's it's a clove or glimmer. It's a glimmer, right? Yeah, she, it's glimmer. It's, and it's, and, she, and that part doesn't really, it's not in the movie at all. No, and she, she thinks that they're glimmers. She's not, or it's unclear whether they're actually glimmers eyes. Right. Or they're just, you know, mutated dogs that are made to look like glimmers eyes. Right. But it's obviously like a very psychologically traumatizing image. Right. Right. <laughs> and she's like, you know, do they, and I think Peter says like, are, are they really their eyes? And she's like, I'm not, you know, she's like, maybe, but she's more concerned with like, what about their brains? Like, do they remember? Right. Who do they hate us because they remember us killing them, or do they hate us because they, you know, we're still alive, or whatever? And then um, she sees the one that's supposed to be Rue, and it's like the smallest dog, or whatever. And the dog's like just just as vicious as the other ones, and it's very upsetting to her and everything like that. So, so then but they're it, on top of the cornucopia. Right, right. So she still has like an arrow or two left, right? Because mm -hmm. she only got like a dozen arrows or something. Yeah. And. Uh, trying to push each other off, right? And mm -hmm. then, so, uh, Kato grabs Peter, mm -hmm. right? And he says, you know, you can't kill me because if you kill me, we're both gonna fall in, mm -hmm. into the dogs. And so she, so he's holding, he's got, grabbed Kato by the neck, right? Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he's strong enough so he can just snap his neck if he wants to. Mm -hmm. And um, and while he's holding him, she doesn't know what, you know, she, she's holding her bow to trying to shoot and, and, and Peter kind of draws a little X Mm -hmm. on his on the guy's hand that's holding him right right and she realizes what he means and second later Kate realizes it but it's too late so she shoots him arrow like into the guy's hand right that's holding Peter so he goes ah and, and Peter, Peter pushes, pushes him. him yep and ta-da end of the games well it takes a few days for Kate to die does it yeah so Kate no, no she shoots him I think because she wants him so Kato gets like he follows the dogs and they expect him to like die but he's got like the full body armor thing happening. So he kills a number of the dogs and then he eventually gets like so maimed that he, he can't anymore, but he's not dying. And clearly the game makers are controlling the dogs, so they won't let the dogs finish him. 
So they spend like a like a night listening to him like moaning and dying right. in the cornucopia, and then finally she she mercy kills him. She right. b- b- like leans over the cornucopia and shoots him. Right. So, and then the dogs disappear. Right. Woo! Yay! And ta-da! Surprise! Rule change. <laughs> it says, "Okay, no, we meant when we say that two people could win from the same district, we meant just one. So go to it." Right. <laughs> so, so Peter says, "Okay, well, just kill me, you know." You're, you're the better one of, of the two of us, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And she says, no. What did they do? Well, Peter says, you know, you got to because they've got to have their victor. And she goes, no, they don't. And she pulls out the nightlock berries. And she's like, they don't have to have their victor if we both we both eat some nightlock. That's it. Because, I mean, and realistically, she can't imagine going back to the district without him. And she right. and he won't let her die. Right. So she's like, whatever, we'll just suicide pack this and we'll be fine. And they're, they count down from three. Three, two, one. They put the berries in their mouths, and the announcer comes over and goes, "Wait, wait, wait! Stop!" <laughs> May I present the winners of the Hunger Games? <laughs> and they spit their berries out and everything. Right. And then, then, then they win the Hunger Games. Yay! Uh, I guess that's kind of the end of the movie. In the book, there's a little bit more about what happens. There's afterwards. a little bit more. Yeah, the movie kind of covers it too. This is more the launching off point for the second book and the, and, and the rest. But the, the idea is that, you know, now they both, so they both survive. They get out, they get treatment, etc. They do their, like, interviews they're supposed to do. But Katniss is warned by Haymitch, you know, you, basically you've pissed off the capital. They don't like being made to look a fool of. They don't like basically being out of control. Right. And you kind of force, you kind of force their hand yep. where they had to, you know, they had to give in to your demand as opposed to them controlling you. And that's not the point. And uh, so, you know, you kind of have a target on you at this point. So she has to, Haymitch tells her, you know, you really have to play up this star-crossed lovers thing because your only way you can get out of this alive is if you say, if you just say, you know, I'm, I was so madly in love that I'm not responsible for my actions. That's right, yes. That, you know, that saying that, like, this suicide pact wasn't uh, an act of rebellion but was just an act of true love or whatever. That's kind of when it's revealed at the end, when Katniss and Peter finally get to actually talk to each other about it outside the arena, that Katniss has been playing the whole time and Peter has not. And then that's kind of where the story ends. Right. Very dramatic. And then there's the other two books, which I haven't read. I have no intention of reading. Oh, they don't get much better. Um, well, let's talk about this one and then... So in terms of dystopia, on our scale from Brave New World to 1984, this is... I would say it's more 1984-ish. It's kind of unpleasant. Uh, you know, the, the life in the seam is very similar, like to Winston's life. Mm-hmm. Very unpleasant kind of a thing. I think it depends what district you live in. Maybe. You know, the thing for District 1, it's probably a lot more like Brave New World. Because they have all of the nice stuff. Except you have the human sacrifice. But they have the volunteers, mm-hmm. right? And they get and they win so frequently. Their districts win so frequently. But yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of stuff that's like in 1984, um, a, a point, there's points where Katniss describes having to show no emotion on her face so that they don't, people don't know the secretness, the lack of communication abilities. Being observed all the time. Being observed all the time, definitely. The <coughs> violence, the fact that the government can, can have so much violence done to you so easily. Right. Uh, and on such a regular basis. So I definitely think it falls more towards the 1984 end of the scale. But again, it's that interesting juxtaposition of the the dystopia and the utopia aspect of it being so closely linked. Because I think someone in District One would probably think they live in a utopia. I don't know about that. I mean, we don't find out. We don't know enough about the other districts. 
And the backstories, again, it's, it's very kind of mm, unclear. It's, it's, I suppose if you just telling it from point of view, one character who's kind of embedded in this world, mm -hmm. what do they know? Just, they taught them something in schools, you know. Right. Who knows mm -hmm. what is true, what is anything. Yeah. So the later books get basically what happens, spoilers for the next two books, that came out ten years ago. Um, <laughs> what happens in the second book is basically there's another Hunger Games that Katniss and Peeta end up being in again for various reasons. And th this moment where... Is Hamlet in them as well? No. Peeta volunteers to take so that Hamish doesn't have to go. What happens is because of this like this moment of like the nightlock thing becomes like a, a beacon of hope for the districts as a sign of resistance. And the idea of the mock like the Mockingjay pin and this whole idea of the Mockingjay, the Katniss sort of becomes this image of Simple. the resistance. Right. And so book two is about seventy fifth annual Hunger Games and basically rescuing the people from it. And then book three is about the revolution and taking down the government and pa and the fall of Pan Am. The close point of view works well for the first book and does not work well for the second and third books. Particularly the third book where you're trying to tell the story of an entire revolution of an entire country from right. just Katniss Everdeen. Not, it doesn't, it's not broad enough. It's not a broad enough lens for the story that they're trying to tell. Right, that she's trying to tell. So it's sort of interesting. I wish there were multiple points of view. I think that would have made the story a lot better. Well, maybe she can still do it. Apparently, oh, the advertisement. Apparently she's coming out with a book in sometime in 2020 that's the prequel. Right. It's the story, I guess, of the original revolution. So that would be cool. So you talked to me before about this being an American type of story. Right, so the... the so being... I grew up in Poland, right, uh, and... Uh, country that was occupied during World War II mm -hmm. and culturally there's a lot of uh, World War II type of uh, themes in its art and in, in, in its movies and literature mm -hmm. and it's based on real people's experiences mm -hmm. so to me this story kind of feels very cheap in, in many ways it's mm -hmm. like you know th there were cases where people really you know gave their lives to save others or fought or, you know, and they're just regular people who were just not soldiers or anything mm -hmm. or chosen or anything like that they were you know really heroic and and this this kind of this is kind of very American kind of almost like a western kind of a thing mm -hmm. um, or a lot of American war movies are about you know some some heroic bunch of soldiers who do something amazing and because America the United States as a country was never invaded never was never under occupation so mm -hmm. Uh, maybe if you uh, look at some of the, some of the movies about American Indians, you know, who mm -hmm. kind of went on the brunt end of this this kind of thing. So, on the other hand, it, it also reminds me a little bit, you know, like you can think of it as what we do today is we have armies with, with volunteers, you know, mm -hmm. tributes, who go and fight, and then you know we don't fight to the the one person who wins the thing, but it's still, you know, it still can be dangerous. It's very it's mostly young people who, who get mm -hmm. to do it and to suffer potentially from it, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I know. I, I get what you're saying in terms of it being. It does feel very American, and I wonder if part of that is like the the almost reality TV show kind of aspect of it as mm -hmm. well. Right. That it's kind of like it's so artificial. Like the the danger is completely artificial. Right? There's no reason the Hunger Games has to happen. And I guess that kind of gets back to what we were saying. Well, it's, it's entertainment, right? It's like uh, gladiators, gladiators mm -hmm. in, in, in Rome. They 
they were entertainers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Except they also died. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do. I agree. And I think that the the kind of lightness with which the various murders are committed is sort of interesting to me because you know, certain things really impact Katniss, you know, her their father's death really is like a like a life changing moment right. for her. Rue dying is something that she right, and I think really one her. thing that happens to Katniss is towards the end of the story, she realizes that winning, you know, in the beginning you think, oh, winning is going to be great, mm -hmm. and she realizes it's really terrible, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're the person, the last person of this group of people, you know, and they're all dead, and you maybe killed some of them, and it's terrible. Mm -hmm. and, and then you have to train someone else. And she kind of understands why Hamish gets drunk all the time. Exactly, exactly. And she starts to think about how like it will be her job to train the next tributes. Right. And she's going to be training kids that are going to go into the arena and not come back. You know, PTSD. Yeah. No, the, the, the third book especially has quite a lot in, of exploration of Katniss's PTSD that's done relatively well. It's probably one of the better things that Suzanne Collins does in the books. We don't, you don't get it here yet because this is she's still kind of going through the, the formative experience. But it's def, that is definitely something that is explored. I guess when you, if you were a teenager reading it, that would be kind of exciting mm -hmm. story to read. As an older person, I don't find it quite as exciting. Mm -hmm. Like even Gato, you know, why, why, Cato, uh, not Gato, Cato. <laughs> he's like painted as a bad guy, but why? Yeah. He was the strongest, right? And he... I don't know. And I think that the, actually the different... So I, I was a teenager when I read it. Because mm -hmm. I think I was 19 when the movie came out. And um, what did you think as a teenager? I was so invested in the romance plot. I was, I was this time through, 0% invested in the romance plot. And I was... When I saw the movie... So I found the movie and the books to be very different. The books is very clear that Katniss does not have feelings for Peta, that she is playing this up for the cameras. Right. I thought, in the, when I saw the movie, I thought that the romance was like legitimately forming between the two of them. I didn't pick up on the fact that it was so, fake. It's not clear to me that it's fake. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. she was faking it, but maybe not. And mm -hmm. what, what I found confusing when I saw the movie, uh, what's his name, Gail, mm -hmm. was just like nothing. Well, he's not really in the first book. He's like... Yeah, but I mean, he was in the beginning, he's like a buddy, buddy, buddy from God knows where they go, you know, mm -hmm. they set this whole thing up and it's just... Yeah. <laughs> so that's very confusing. Yeah, I think it's definitely... I, I think part of the problem is that the... And again, and that, so this is one of those things where I don't know if this is a problem of Katniss's psychology or the author's psychology and understanding of the world. Mm -hmm. But this is the, the issue is that the understanding of gender roles is very limited within the story. Well, actually, you, you said the funny, it's kind of reversed in many ways, the gender roles, right? Oh, yeah. Well, so there's a, there's kind of an interesting commentary with between Katniss and Peeta, right. where Katniss is strong and violent and kills things and... Super hunter. Super hunter, but can't talk to people, has, has trouble with her feelings, all these things. And Peeta is like painting cakes and making bread and wants to talk about... Hunt, a gathering. Gathering, has, having all the romance, having all the romantic feelings, you know, all these things. So there is that kind of swap, which is really interesting. But in terms of how the characters relate to each other, they're very much in boxes where it's like Katniss thinks, like, you know, at one point she thinks, I can't possibly really be with Peeta because, he, you know, he can't possibly really be happy with me because I'm, I don't want to get married or have kids. So there's no, there's no future 
like as if that's like the only possible future. When we hear about Gail in the beginning, she tells us twice in the same chapter, there's nothing romantic between us. There's nothing romantic between right. us. As if it's impossible for two teenagers to have a relationship that is not romantic, right? And it doesn't quite fit with like Cadence's character that there are there are these like very strict understandings of what roles people play. By the end of the it's, story, it's like you know, some, this is not something possibly you would even think much about when when you're sixteen, you know. Right. It's it's weird, and and particularly with Katniss being so rebellious, the fact that her mind is then so limited about what her relationships with people can be like right. is very odd. And by the end of the story, she makes a comment that Gail, with Gail, no, there's nothing romantic between us, but maybe there could be. And it's like, you haven't seen him in this entire book. What changed between the beginning of the book and now? Except that the author has decided that they want, they, there should be a love triangle, you know? It's, it was just very, it was very Yeah, odd. I find that confusing in the movie as well. Mm -hmm. Here, to me, it sounds like, you know, she, she sort of knows she has to pretend that she loves Peter. I don't think she's necessarily sure whether she does or not at the end, but, mm. you know. I think that what it is is that she has, she's exceptionally caring. And she has a, a, a natural aspect about her where she cares and protects people. Right. We see it with Prim, right. with her mother, with Rue, and Peta falls into that pattern. Right. But because Peta is a boy, it's hard to fit him into, for in her, either in her brain or in the author's brain, I'm not sure. Mm. It's not possible to fit him into that platonic caring for pattern without there being a romantic right. aspect to it and that's the part where it's like it it's unfortunate that that couldn't have been explored more as platonic very powerful friendship right with either gail or Peta. right and that because that would be really interesting but the, the book kind of falls back on more basic right understandings so was this science fiction uh <laughs> think so. It's a dystopia. It's yeah, it's a definitely a dystopia. Hmm. It takes place in the future. Does it? Yeah, because it's in it's in the United States. It's in a future United okay. States. Yeah, I guess they have trains and stuff. Well we know geographically. Well, it could be alternate history. Could be you know, that's true. We okay. You're <laughs> right. I don't know that it takes place in the future. I mean, they have like some technologies and things. Yeah, nothing, that we don't nothing have. tremendous, you know. The... Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the biggest problems we have with the story is that I don't, I don't quite see it as a piece of literature, you know. And I think that's a very. Well, but I mean, it's it's a fun story to read. I it guess. is, and it's it's kind of ineffable to say something does or doesn't have literary merit. I don't quite. I mean, like, I think I've spent my entire life trying to explain what do, things mm. have and don't have literary merit. But it just don't, it's like it's it's got the bones of having a point, but it doesn't quite Well, I, I think it's, it's I don't want to say one-dimensional, but it's, it's, it's basically just a story yeah. of, of this and this world, and it, there isn't much beyond that. It's like, it's, mm -hmm. it's more concerned with, like, your normal human emotions, like, you know, oh, oh, she likes him, he likes her. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they're in this weird place where you have to kill each other for entertainment, it's just thrown in it to make to like add spice to this, but but without any any deep in, deep investigation. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like this is normally the part of the podcast where I would talk about themes, and I don't really have any because I could extrapolate themes out of it. But is the story really making a point? Right. It doesn't. Right. So like yeah. you know, if you look at Return from the Stars, right, mm -hmm. was kind of this alienation 
oh my god, identity was a huge theme right. in Return of the Stars and, and the meaning of home. I mean, right. but like, what's the difference? Why is it that that, like, and I think this is the greatest question in like literary analysis is like, what makes that, you know, what makes Solaris like a, a great piece of literature? Well, because it's, first there's the, the imaginations, like the descriptions of things, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he, he describes things that don't exist and and he, he makes them appear in your head, mm -hmm. right? Here, there's nothing that doesn't exist, mm -hmm. right? And ask some interesting questions, like, you know, what does it mean to be an alien? What does it mean to communicate? Mm -hmm. Kind of very fundamental in some ways. Here, it's, it's a fun story, but... Well, I think an um, interesting thing to think about, too, is people often compare Hunger Games to Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. You've read their Harry Potter yeah. books, yeah. I think Harry Potter does have a lot of themes in it, more so than Hunger Games. Well, Harry Potter is, is such an intricate world, you know, that she This becomes an intricate world, too. There's a uh, lot of uh, details that come up in this, particularly in later books, but it's not on... It's, I, could, I agree with you that it's not on par with Harry Potter. Whereas... Where uh, you but know, they're both kind of straightforward A to B to C plus stories. Plus 33 and a third, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first Harry Potter book is like a kid's book. Mm -hmm. And yet still there's like, you know, this whole world created. Right. And it, and there's, there is quite a bit of literary merit, I think, to Harry Potter, even though Harry Potter, the writing itself is very simple. Well, it started, it's, it's, Harry Potter is interesting because as, as the book progressed, the, the writing got more complex. Right. Because I guess she expected the readers. The to audience older. got more complex. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, which was which was a good choice. But I mean, even you talk the seventh Harry Potter book, we're not talking James Joyce over here. We're, right. It's right. still pretty much A to B to C storytelling, and it's not. You know, I'm not knocked over by the prose at any point in time. But I think it's a combination. You know, you don't have to just be writing really fancy to have a story. Right, but I mean, the, the, if if you're putting people in in the, in the arena to fight to the death. You would think there would be some something else you want to consider, mm -hmm. some some philosophy maybe, you know. Right, like, exactly. And then there's just just for touch and touch of it, just in the end, where she realizes that, you know, what she has done is is just because she won. It's it's not such a great thing in the end. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really make the point. So, so something else that I wanted to mention was the representation of race in the Hunger Games as well, and this ties to the movie. And this is another thing where it's like. The, there's the bones there of the story wanting to make a point, but then the story never makes that point. In District 12, there's a pretty clear, there's like different races in District 12. And there's uh, the seam, the people that live in the seam are described as having darker skin, darker eyes, darker hair, or having gray eyes, because Katniss's father had gray eyes. And then there's like the merchant class, which is where her mother was from, and her mother right. has blonde hair and blue eyes and is white. So Katniss is described as having dark hair, olive skin, and I believe gray eyes like her father. And then Prim has blonde hair, blue eyes, and looks like her mother. So Katniss is a mixed race lead. I wish the movies, I, and I love Jennifer Lawrence. She was the one who's cast as Katniss. Yeah. I love Jennifer Lawrence. I, I love uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Too. She's a great actress. They should have cast someone who is mixed race for Katniss because she is blatantly, um, like the first three pages of the book, described as being mixed race. She describes herself as having olive skin. She's not green. <laughs> Olives are green, brown, or black. No, it could just be the dust. Oh, it's the, the dust. The yeah, dust, that's yeah. that's what it is. Oh, of course. So, and and it's one of those things where that's like a really interesting aspect of District Twelve and the culture of District Twelve, but it never goes anywhere. There's never any. Well, even like the district that Rue was from, right? There was like farm, farming, something right. like them from the south or something. Right. right. But the, it's all black people on District Eleven, and because Rue is black and Thresh is black. 
and well, in the movie when we see some of District 11. And, and the rule, in the book, the rule is black, right? I don't mm -hmm. think... She is in the movie, too. I know she's in the movie, yeah. but I, I, I don't know it's clear in the book that Trish is black also. They don't describe I was actually him? surprised when I saw him in the clip. Oh, maybe she doesn't describe him. I don't remember. I saw the movie, maybe because I saw the movie Thresh, I just imagined it, but you're right, maybe they don't describe Thresh. I mean, I mean, the biggest thing is that they, if you're talking about what seems to be like a, almost a post-apocalyptic America, right. right, and you have these class divisions, you absolutely have the opportunity to explore race divisions as well. Right. And doing it in, in a science fiction context allows you to explore and critique what we experience in real life. And it could be very powerful and very interesting and it just like doesn't. Right. It's like zero percent. Yeah, I mean there's story. like possibilities for all kinds of different things to get deeper. And so mm -hmm. I guess that's what we mean by literary merit. It's like when you explore some of the ideas a little bit deeper just beyond just the story. Right. Right. I mean, from this book, the the, the only kind of thing that, that uh, comes through is, is uh, at least when I read it, this, uh, that Katniss is kind of ambivalent at the end about winning. It's like, you know, she, she, it's mm -hmm. not the great thing that she may, may have thought in the past. Because she can never go back to her old life. Right. There's no way for her to go back to her old life, yeah. So, I don't know, themes, it's up to you guys. It's up to you, <laughs> audience, what the themes are. <laughs> right, so next time, I think we're going to read Handmaiden's hey, Tale. Yes. Right, so I have not watched the show. Have you watched the show? I haven't seen the show. I okay. haven't read the book. Okay. So I'm going to read the book. We're supposed to read it for our book discussion. So. Oh, perfect. If you can finish it before then. Uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> yes, or Handmaid's Tale, and then will that be it for dystopias? Or did we decide to do some short stories? I think we should do some short stories. I have, have to pick some. Okay. And then, okay, perfect. So that'll, and then that'll we can do up. dystopia. Wrap dystopias up. everywhere, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dystopias, dystopias everywhere. <laughs> Definitely. All right, those were our thoughts and feelings on the Hunger Games. I think we're all we're all done. Yep. All right. Thank you for listening to History in Reverse, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye bye. Bye. Reverse. I saw. I, uh, wow. I saw. I always, I'm so full, uh. <laughs> I always get nervous.